0: city it's your man big pat the voice of your charlotte hornets and you're listening to the all hornets podcast network presented by sports illustrated Bus City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets, and you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network presented by Sports Illustrated.
1: It is draft week on the All Hornets Podcast Network. We're back with our first episode of the week for the draft show. As uh, joining me as always is Chase Whitney and. I think we have a guest unless he backed out without telling us and told watch first and then we, we found out by Twitter. But I, I think I can see him on the Zoom. So confirm he is here. He's not backed out the role. It is CJ Marcusani? CJ, how are you doing?
2: I'm good. How are you? Always here for you guys.
1: Appreciate it. Appreciate and And for those who maybe haven't listened before, CJ joined us for our podcast that we did before the draft last year and our mock draft episode um uh we were just talking before the show I believe he picked usman Garuba for the hornets last year sorry and he did just apologize for that before the podcast started <laughs> um but we, yeah. we were both agreeing that you know garuba might be better than some of the hornets first round picks from from last year um still still yet to be confirmed i think at this point um chase, are you excited for draft week
0: I am very excited we i it came up on on us pretty fast, i think but you know only three days left now when we're recording this so. I'm definitely getting getting in the mood for for some draft night
1: and CJ I mean just tell people quickly just introduce yourself kind of where do people find your work Um, where are you writing at and also just like what's this draft process been like for you this year have you enjoyed it it's obviously a little bit of a quicker one um, with the draft being back at the normal kind of June 23rd date this year yeah,
2: so you can find me on Twitter at CJ Marichasani. Honestly, I'm pretty wrapped up on 2022 stuff leading up to this draft. You can find all of my old work regarding that, and then I'll be in full swing for 2023 um, as soon as this draft is over, I guess, on Thursday. And overall, I think, honestly, I, I had a little bit less fun with this class as I did last year's class, and I will with next year's class just because of the diverse talent available. I think this is a, a little bit just less exciting class, but there's still a lot of great value to be found, a lot of great players in the class, and particularly a lot of guys that are going to be there right around where the uh, Hornets are going to be picking. So I'm definitely excited to see which way this goes.
1: Yeah, and I think even in those weak drafts that you look back on, but there obviously are always going to be certain drafts are weaker than others, but there are always guys who are difference makers. Um, the Anthony Ooh. Bennett draft, where he went number one, that that was the same Giannis draft, wasn't it? where I think he went 14, 15. Um, So there will be guys in there somewhere in this draft. And and finding them, that is the challenge. Um, As we go into draft night, I think some Hornets fans feeling a little bit jaded after the Kenny Atkinson news over the weekend. Um, I think it's kind of overshadowed the draft a bit now. Like uh, people are probably a little bit less excited. Just, Just Chase, we'll touch on it very quickly before we get into the mock. What were your thoughts over the weekend, um, seeing the news that Kenny Atkinson backed out the Hornets head coaching role?
0: I mean, like nothing more Hornets could happen than a head coach accepting a role, uh, waiting over a week and then backing out after winning a championship with another team, like just a few days before the draft. Uh, I mean, I have literally no idea why this would have or could have happened or whatever, and we may never find out, but I mean... At this point, it doesn't really matter. So, I mean, I'm excited to see who the next coach will be. Uh, I mean, technically, I guess we never even really had one because he never signed the contract or had joined the team or anything. It was just kind of a verbal handshake agreement. But so they're not starting or they didn't get too far ahead before they had to restart. But, you know, not it's not what you want, um, to put it simply.
1: It is not. And then reportedly, they'd even, like, had the assistant set and had them, like, due to fly into Charlotte and everything. So... Um, they, they were pretty uh, sideswiped by this. I mean, I shared my thoughts online already. Um, complete shock. These things don't really happen. It's, CJ, looking at the, this through the draft lens, do you think this will have much impact on what the Hornets will do on Thursday? I have my own opinion, but I don't want to kind of sway you in any direction.
2: I, I don't think it will change the players that they will draft necessarily, but I do think it's a big deal. And I think you guys saw it a little bit last year, what what an organization looks like when the general management and the people that are making the picks aren't working hand in hand with the coaching staff. And it resulted in guys like James Booknight and guys like Kai Kai Jones never really getting that developmental playing time. You know, there was clearly some sort of divide between what the coaching staff and Borrego wanted to do and what the general management, you know, ended up playing out, if you will. So I do think it's a big deal that the guys that they're going to be selecting in this draft, they don't really – they can't really collaborate with any sort of coach or get any sort of coaching buy-in because there's no, there's no coach to buy in yet.
1: Yeah, and for those Panthers fans who also listen to this, the, the Panthers do this kind of great draft confidential where they take you behind the scenes in draft day. And the first thing that happens is when the player gets selected, they put him on the, co- on the phone to coach Matt Rule. And they have a conversation and like, <laughs> who's, who's Mitch Kupchak handing the phone to? Like, I, I don't know. Um, so I, I do agree. Like get kind of getting off on that ground running. I wonder if it makes agents a little bit more hesitant to kind of steer people towards Charlotte, which I think at, you know, the end of the season, you'd say Charlotte's a pretty good situation to land in at the moment. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I still have a feeling I'll have a coach by draft night. I, I, We've not heard anything since reports came out. It's been probably 24 hours or over 24 hours now, but I have a feeling they might announce someone. Um, Let's leave it there. Let's move on to what we're here for. This is this is what we pay the big bucks, CJ, to come on. Uh, It's mock draft time. The first and only official mock draft of the Hornets draft show this year. And just to remind everyone of the format, um, CJ's got the first pick, Chase is second, and I have third, and we're just going to go – in order down to pick number 15. Um, it's probably be, we're aiming between like 30, 40 minutes for this A little bit of discussion about each pick. We are picking for what we think the NBA teams are going to do. Um, this is not what we would do. And I, I know people heard about kind of mine and thoughts and we'll definitely get some of CJ's thoughts during the pod, but we're trying to predict here to try and see how things could break for the Hornets. Um, so if everyone was ready, I don't have any fancy intro draft music to kind of signal you on the clock. Like ding, 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 ding. There you go. Um.
0: You should, you should just do that for all 15 picks. (laughs) Every time. Yeah. do it every time. Completely agreed. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. If you're really going to make me do that, I will. So um, CJ, you're on the clock. All
2: right. Sounds good. I think that the common perception of this pick for the last couple of weeks has been Jabari Smith. And I truly, in my heart, believe on draft day, the pick is going to be Chet Holmgren. So I'm going to make this pick as Chet Holmgren. He is the player that I would select. So I'm trying to keep bias out of this and because I actually do think that, (laughs) sorry, make you rip up your board. I do think that when all is said and done, Chet checks off a lot of boxes that Orlando has historically valued very highly. And I think he will be the picket one.
1: Chase, reaction to that?
2: Yeah, no intel, no anything like that. Just pure speculation. But the betting markets have started to move back a little bit towards even. And I I just, I can't get over the fact that he's, I think, probably the best prospect in the draft. And if you're at number one, you have to go star hunting. And for whatever Jabari Smith is, and he's a very excellent prospect, he is not the... "Quote unquote star hunting prospect at one."
0: Actually, I think I completely agree with that. Like, I especially at the beginning because I think it started out as Chet. Like, once they came number one, or once they got number one in the lottery, the first guy that they were, you know, rumored to be leaning towards was Chet. And I mean, it's probably bounced back and forth like five times by now. But I, I, I agree. The intersection of like star power. And people always say Orlando needs shooting too. And may, that would be a reason to side with Jabari or maybe even Paula, depending on where you have these three guys ranked, but Chet can shoot too. And he's also the best defensive fit in their front court. Uh, I mean, him and Wendell Carter as a uh, front court pairing is like a, a, in two or three years, that might be one of the best in the East potentially. If, if Chet pans out Wendell continues to improve in the way that he has over the last couple of years. So I mean, I I would, I would do that as well myself. I I also think that Orlando is going to do it. Um, He really like it. Just looking at him, like he just is the type of player that the Magic like to draft physically. So, I I agree with that. James, I think you might be muted. Technical difficulties. We're back. We're back. Here we go. My
1: bad. (laughs) Um, This has been rumored now that Jabbar is going number one for the last. I don't know, since about a week after draft. I think it was after the draft combine it basically came out. Do we think then that, do we think this could be some smoke spreading here from from Orlando, trying to get the Jabari name out there? I mean, I got Jabari to go number one at two, like two to one essentially um, way back around the draft combine. And I was sitting here feeling very confident, very pretty when he was like odds on favorite, favorite. And now things are shifting back. And I'm suddenly thinking, oh, this is, this isn't looking so good. So do we think everyone's just assumed they're going to take Jabari here or is this some, maybe some on-purpose intel leaking for, for trade purposes or, or just a bit of a smokescreen?
2: I don't know. I, I think that anything that leaks ever is out there for somebody's benefit. You know, I think very, very little of the stuff that gets out is actually just being reported as 100% truth with no ulterior motive. A lot of it may also be true, but I think there's always someone benefit benefiting from it. I think it's very possible that Orlando was seriously considering Jabari and still is seriously considering Jabari. He's a really good prospect. And I think that he makes a lot of sense in their team. What it comes down to for me is team fit, you kind of address on like a sliding scale, right? When you're picking second round picks, you want to make sure that they fit in your roster so that they can get playing time and earn those contracts. At number one, though, the only players fit you should really be considering at number one is how it impacts your franchise cornerstones and I don't know if Orlando even has one franchise cornerstone maybe it's Franz after the rookie season he put up this year but I I don't think that they should be picking a guy like Jabari Smith because he is the best roster fit if that makes sense if they think that he's going to be the best player in five years that's a completely respectable stance and a completely different opinion but the only really reason I've seen out there behind Jabari in all the speculation is like, like you said, Magic needs shooting. It's a great team fit. And I just don't buy that that would be a reason to make a selection at number one, really.
1: Okay. Ding, 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 ding. This is the last time I'm doing it. Okay. I'm not I'm not doing this every time. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Chase, you're on number two.
0: All right. So. I will do, I'm going to take Jabari Smith here uh, for the Oklahoma City Thunder at number two, uh, and I mean for for, the, for a lot of the reasons that uh, I mean he would fit well with the Magic, like as a shooter. Uh, I I think he was going to fit well as the uh, with the Thunder for the same reasons. Uh, I don't think he has quite the defensive upside as Chet does, which is why I would have I have Chet number one and Jabari number two on my board. But I still I think Jabari could very well be the best offensive player out of these uh, three guys that are in potential or in contention to go number one uh, down the road. So I think that could benefit them and the Thunder just kind of can take whoever they want here, like that whichever player that they have at the top of their board that the magic didn't take, hopefully their number one player doesn't go to Orlando Uh, that I'm sure that that is a scenario that they would more than welcome, but uh, I I think it's going to be, pretty interesting to see who they take here because I it it, Jabari or Apollo are both good fits for them both long-term and will have good opportunities to put up numbers in their rookie season as well
1: yeah I think I mean Chet seems like a sorry Jabari number two there seems like a a pretty big no-brainer um he fit really nicely with a guard that definitely needs some full spacing um I also have Jabari number one so I I would have done that um I'm up next, number three. I don't, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody. I'm going to go Paolo Banquero. I thought for a minute when Chet went number one that you might take Paolo at two because I wasn't sure who your second ranked player was. So I thought I might have got Jabari, who's my number one ranked guy. Um, I do wonder if Jabari would fall here if like, Houston would maybe try and move up, but we're, we're not doing any trades in today's mock. But I'm going to go Paolo. Um, I, I've actually moved him up to second on my big board, um, which I'm going to release probably later today, um, ahead of Chet. So probably an unpopular take, but I I was just, I've had this thing niggling in the back of my mind for the last five or six weeks, which is if you look at a team and they're typically the best player on a playoff team, what do they look like? And it's someone who can shoot, handle the ball, pass, and they can be the hub of the offense. And of these three guys, Banquero fits that mold the closest. And that's just been there. I, I don't love like his athleticism I don't love his defensive awareness I'm not 100% sure about the shooting but then there's part of me being like he was on that such talented Duke team if he was on something where like he needed to be more of a go-to guy would his like you know per minute numbers just be way off the charts if he was surrounded by less talent and he's more of a go-to guy so I'm going to go power here with Houston number three I think they seem almost resigned to Drafting Paolo, they made, they made the wood trade. I think they're almost certain they're going to get one of Paolo or Jabari. Um, and I think it's a good fit for a Pies. Okay. No, go on, CJ.
2: Oh, no, I agree. Honestly, a lot of the things that you just said about Paolo, I completely am on board with. Um, he's also the number two ranked player on my board, but behind Chet. And I, I think that this, out of everybody in the top three, this is the best player team fit. Is Houston and Paolo that he really makes up for a lot of the stuff that Jalen Green, while an elite prospect, lacks, and I think that they mesh together really well.
1: Okay, no more dingling intros. Uh, <laughs> CJ, number this four. Is... This is where the draft I think gets really interesting. Yes. The Sacramento Kings, who haven't traded it yet, but it still feels like they could do. What are you doing with number four?
2: So the issue here is. I think that the clear fourth best player and the guy that we'll go for here is Jaden Ivy. But I don't think that the Kings are going to make that pick. And I don't think they can make that pick really. So I'm going to just pretend that they're trying to make a trade and then draft day, the value just doesn't make sense, which happens quite a bit. You know, there's, there's a reason we don't see every pick traded. Sometimes the values just don't add up. So if the Kings, like I am here get stuck on the clock, I think that they're going to end up going between Dyson Daniels and Keegan Murray, which would be a mistake for me. I don't agree with this, but I think that the pick at four in this situation would be Keegan Murray.
1: Mm. Uh, So it's interesting about Jaden Ivey at four. We know the Kings have drafted Halliburton. Well, they had Fox, they then drafted Halliburton, and they then drafted Mitchell. And then they had to trade one of those guys to make room. And it seems, well, you're just creating the same issue again with Jaden Ivy at four. But this was, I, I was of that thought process. And then something hit me. I was like, well, they, they drafted Mitchell last year, kind of disregarded fit really being an issue. And they drafted who it seems like they're the, the best player on their board. And it kind of made me think, well, maybe they will just do it again. Maybe they've already shown that they don't really care about it being a guard because i've already drafted mitchell into when they had two guards there so maybe they will so it's a fascinating thing what happens at four chase with do you do you agree with cj there that you don't think they'll pick ivy
0: yeah i i i don't know if they will just because like the the, i mean it really kind of goes back to when they picked tyrese halliburton which wasn't a bad pick at all but you kind of in theory, like locked in your future backcourt in terms of like the two guys that you're going to pay like a lot of money to be your starters. And then you drafted a, a six man, likely at nine, unless you're going to start three guys that are six, five and under and basically guards. Uh, and then you traded the arguably the best one of the three, depending on who you ask at just to draft uh, a guy who maybe depending on your view is like a better prospect than Tyrese Halliburton. But is certainly like it's just kind of replicating the same thing. It's I feel like it's really tough to convince yourself as a team to do that. I um, expect maybe especially if they have to like get the owners' buy-in on any sort of deal or something. Uh, having to like lay it out in those terms might not look great necessarily, especially because Halliburton is so good already, uh, and even as good as Ivy could be in the NBA or is now, it's not a sure thing, but. Uh, I I, do, I think that they'll go Keegan Murray if they don't take Jaden Ivey. He, I, I, th- I think he's like both a good fit and I, I have him a little lower probably than most people do. But I think in terms of like NBA minds, he's probably like one of the next best players available after Jaden Ivey here. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And you
2: kind of touched on it that I don't think honestly, I don't think that De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton were ever a bad fit. They no, no, both no. kind of play the same-ish position, but they have very different skill sets. And the Davion Mitchell pick made it all weird if you had to force Davion Mitchell into minutes, which I don't necessarily think that you did. The issue I have with Ivy is kind of th- they're the opposite. Like, Ivy and Fox have extraordinarily redundant skill sets. So it's not necessarily that they play the same position. That's the issue. Um, if anything, Ivy's more of a combo guard than Halley was. But... They they kind of they filled two different roles in the offense, right, where Ivy and Fox will fill very, very similar roles in the offense. And I don't know how that level of team building is sustainable, even if I do think that they should stay still and take Ivy because he's the best prospect and work from there. I just if they thought that Halliburton and Fox were too close, Ivy and Fox are kind of almost the exact same.
1: If if you had to give a percentage, you know, let's assume that trades trades can happen on draft night. What percentage of certainty would you both give that Jaden Ivy goes for to either the Kings or another team?
0: I would say
2: 60
0: 65%. Yeah, I'd probably maybe I'd go like 70% just cuz I think they're probably going to try and trade that pick like really really like try really hard to trade that pick. I mean, if cuz if they can get good value for that they could be a play-in team, like, realistically next year. Like, if they mm-hmm. everything breaks right for them. So I, I can see them convincing themselves that they really need to push for a trade at four. And someone's going to want Jaden Ivey, too. Like, he's really, really I good.
1: I, I mean, I, I think I, I'd go higher because I think there's a chance the Kings could take him, but I also think there's a really good chance, whether it's OKC, whether it's Detroit, whoever might move up as well. So I think I'm probably going to go, like, 80%, 85%. That I think Jaden will go four. Um, okay, Moving on, fifth pick, Detroit Pistons. Chase, I I don't think you can get this wrong here. I'm, I'm, move, I'm moving it over to you. <laughs> no,
0: I mean, I, I definitely don't think I can. I, I'm going to take Jaden Ivey at five. And uh, I actually, I had a couple players listed on here for my potential options. And he was on there in the event that uh, CJ picked somebody else for the King. So I, I, w- I was a little bit uh, prepared for this one. But uh, I don't think it's like necessarily the cleanest long-term fit with, him and Cade uh in the backcourt but I think it's good still like that you can use Cade off ball and kind of maximize his shooting you could use Jaden Ivey off ball a little bit and uh, maximize the speed that he has and see if he can grow as like an off ball player and cutter next to an extremely good passer in Cade um it doesn't really help with them being like one of the worst shooting teams in the league but you don't really need to worry about that with like your fifth draft pick you just got to get a good player. Um, and I, th- I think if Jaden Ivy fell here, that that would probably be one of the quickest picks to come in uh, of draft night. Like, Oh, well, there might only be like 15 seconds that tick off the clock on, on ESPN before it says pick is in uh, for this one. And I mean, what that would be an excellent start to being a GM for, for Troy Weaver, if he could haul like seven quality young players in the last like three drafts, basically.
2: Yeah, this is like home run dream level pick for Detroit. I think that this is like a hit it out of the park. I actually do think Ivy and Cade work together really well. They're kind of like that fire and ice combination. Cade slows the game down, very deliberate, excellent passer. And Jaden Ivy is like shot out of the cannon, but has also kind of improved at slowing the game down. And I think that that's one of the most dynamic backcourts in basketball. And I would love to see it for Detroit. And I don't think that Sacramento should let it happen because I think that end of the day, you just got to take the best, best player available.
1: I couldn't agree with you anymore on, on all those points right there. I have the exact same for you. I think this would be probably one of the best fits to kind of prospects in the draft anywhere. Um, it just, I couldn't think of many better landing places for Jade and Ivy that are realistic. So um, yeah, if to try, and that's why part of me thinks that even Detroit could try and just flip with the Kings to mm-hmm. move up that one spot and give up someone, something, I don't know, a first round pick, a future first or whatever it is to get their guy. I, I actually wouldn't hate that. So, okay. Now I'm up at number six with in Indiana and the guy I was really eyeing up was Keegan Murray who went four and I thought there would be chance that he'd slip. Now as Indiana GM, I should probably have some idea of what we're actually trying to do. I don't really <laughs> is, I mean, help me out here. Is this team rebuilding? Are we talking about a multi-year rebuild? Are we talking about a one-year reset and they're going to be straight back trying to compete next year? I mean, they tried—they drafted Chris Duarte last year because he's the, the older prospect who could come in and make an impact right now. And then literally fast forward a year and they're trading away some bonus. They brought in Halliburton, who, you know, is a young, exciting point guard. Where do, what do we think this team is trying to do? Because I'm struggling here. I've got two names on my list. I've three names, really. But depending on what we're trying to do, it'll probably depend on what direction I go.
2: I think you would probably get a different answer if you asked the Pacers front office and if you asked Rick <laughs> Carlisle. I think Rick Carlisle is uh, always in win-now mode. I don't think he has a rebuilding mode, but I do think that the, the front office is retooling a little bit, and they're trying to walk that thin line of keeping a slightly competitive team out there while they do it to, you know, a piece coach, and Indiana is not an easy place to go full tank mode. You know, they, they don't have that gigantic market but I do think that the overarching goal is closer to rebuild than it is win now
0: they're like, they're such a confusing team to peg down. Cause I saw on Twitter, I think it was last night that Raphael Barlow um, of NBA draft, big board locked on NBA draft podcast. uh, he, He either wrote or said on his podcast that he expects the Pacers to go conservative with pick six, which, I mean, I mean, I would assume it takes Shaden and Sharp out of the fold.
1: But that's why I wanted that. Keegan Murray chase, right? That, but that...
0: beyond that, like, I don't know who who would that eliminate beyond that. Like, I don't maybe well. Jalen Duran, but like, I, but that's still like, that's not like you okay. still got a pretty large pool of players here. So that that this is the most confusing, or not confusing, but like hard to nail down direction wise pick in the lottery, I think.
1: I would agree. So the guy the guys I'm considering are Shaden Sharp, Ben Matherin, and Dyson Daniels. Um, I kind of had Shaden Sharp put in because in my, in my opinion, like they need to take a bit of a home run swing. I don't see where that all-star player is coming from from the current roster. But I, I do it doesn't really feel like a very pacers pick. They like to go safe, so I do agree with that. In that case, I'm gonna go Ben Matherin. At six, I think. Um, Daniels, I just wonder, there's a little bit of overlap with Halliburton. Um, like both kind of tall, kind of not not like big rim pressure guards. Uh, what if there's a little bit of overlapping skill set there? He's obviously much a better, much better defender. And, you know, the defensive pairing of D- Daniels and Turner was, is really exciting. But I'm going to go Ben Matherin because I do think he's a very safe pick. I think worse worst, he's going to be like a a Kind of mid-team scorer on the wing. Um, I like his first step in his athleticism, which again you talk about that fire and ice with with Ivy and Cade. I think you could have a little bit of that with, with Mathurin and Halliburton as well. Like I saw by P3 that he's one of got like one of the most strongest and explosive like bodies that they've analyzed, like NBA draft players. So I, I really like that kind of like first step. I think there's some untapped upside, like I think in before he got to college, he was known as like an interior scorer. And then he got to Arizona and he was basically a, a three-point up guy in his first year and then took a big leap this year in Tommy Lloyd's system. So I'm going to go Ben Mathurin because I think there's a, the best mix, and, and it's hard when you compare it to like Davis, Griffin, Daniels, but I think there's the best, best mix of defensive upside, versatility, uh, being able to space the floor, but then also potentially being going a bit more of a go-to scorer as well. Um, I think he'll be able to play on the NBA floor next year while also having some upside there. So I'm going by Mathur at six. I didn't like it, but that's what I've decided to do.
2: Yeah, um, I I think that's just about right. For what it's worth, I do think that they're probably a very likely Keegan Murray spot. I think that you're kind of dead on with your instincts there. Um, Unfortunately, I'm just messing with you this whole draft, so I, I can't let you just take the nice easy pick there. But I, I do think Matherin is a, a pretty decent backup plan for the Pacers uh, behind Keat.
1: Okay, CJ, you're back up, you're back on the clock yeah. with a, may, maybe an equally confusing team, the Portland yes. Trailblazers.
2: Yeah, I, I, we've said this a couple of times now, and obviously they can't be true on all of them. But this, more than any other pick, seems like the one that no one in the league really expects Portland to make mm-hmm. because their timeline is – Still trying to win with Dame. They have shown no, no actions that have made it look like they're not trying to push the chips in and put another playoff roster out there and do something around Dame Lillard. So, with that in mind, there aren't really guys available right now that I think are for sure playoff contributors next year. So, I think it's tough to make this pick. But what I do know is that Dyson Daniels' range is sort of getting narrowed to somewhere between four and eight and we're getting to the end of that And i can't really see him falling too far beyond that so i'm gonna go with the guy that you left dyson daniels there thinking that portland can't really take the shaden sharp swing if they're trying to build it around dame still and dyson is a guy that seems to have a lot of league wide value so even if they don't hit that trade on draft night he may allow them to retain the asset of the pick there while also getting a really good player. I don't know that there's a nice, easy Portland pick here. So with that in mind, I'll just take the guy that I think is probably the best player available on most NBA boards and uh, roll from there.
0: Uh, Dyson is like probably my favorite player in this class. And Portland is like one of my favorite fits for him in the lottery. I love him. The idea of him playing next to Damian Lillard and even Anthony Simons too. There's so much, ball handling and like rim penetration you can get out of those three. And Dyson obviously would help a ton defensively, especially if with his newfound size, he grew two inches since he entered the G league ignite program. Uh, I was, I was really hoping I'd get to pick him for new Orleans next. Cause uh, the, like back, these two back-to-back picks are probably my two favorite fits for him in the lottery. Um, but it, it's kind of like um, when the Portland, when the Blazers had Evan Turner and Damian Lillard playing together I mean I Dyson I think is going to be a much better NBA player than Evan Turner was even though those Portland years were some of the best years of his career but it's I think it's good to have like a like a bigger guard next to Damian Lillard just to absorb like more defensive impact and take him off the ball a little bit when he inevitably is taken on like a huge load and gets a little bit tired so I I Dyson to Portland would be very very nice if they end up keeping this pick but CJ I wanted to ask you would you, so the, I mean, I feel like the most popular rumor for this pick is just seven for Jeremy Grant to the Pistons. Cause he fits in their trade exception. Uh, it's like the Pistons obviously would be fine with getting another top 10 pick in this draft. I'm sure. Would you do that? If you're Portland though, like is Jeremy Grant worth just the seventh pick straight up? Um, no, I don't think so. But yeah. a lot of
2: it is just from a bigger team building perspective. That is a team around Damian Lillard. And Jeremy Grant in place of number seven, like, is that a real contender, even with everything else that they may do? And I don't think that's quite a push all the chips in worthy team. So I would be more content to, you know, build towards that next team. But if they if they're trying to maximize winning just this year, next year, I think Jeremy Grant gives them a better chance at doing that um, than anybody else that they have at seven. So it all kind of comes down to what their team goals are, I think.
1: And, Chase, just to echo, I know you talked there about his fit alongside Damian Lillard, but also next to Fernie Simons as well, who really emerged in the second half last year. I think he's a really nice backcourt fit with him. So, I agree. If they keep the pick, I think Dyson Daniels is a is a great selection for a lot of reasons. Um, okay, Chase, number eight, the New Orleans Pelicans. CJ's just taken your guy. You're scrambling. Who are you going with?
0: All right, so – I think New Orleans is in kind of a good position here to because they don't have a ton of you know all of their young talent is pretty spread out like they don't have like one position that has a lot of young players they have they can kind of just take whoever they think is the best and then let the chips fall where they may in terms of which young guys you know rise to the top and end up being like high level rotation players and all that Um, but I don't I I don't necessarily have a huge uh, like inkling as to who they'll pick but I do think it'll probably be a wing just because that seems like a good position to add like some shooting and playmaking which I think they could use a little bit along I mean assuming Zion comes back and is healthy uh, and plays like he did uh, his last healthy season they could use a little bit more floor spacing and playmaking alongside him just because he's like one of the best interior like cutters off ball scorers, and even creators for himself uh, in the NBA right now so I think I'm going to go with Oh God, I think I'm going to go with AJ Griffin. I don't know. It seems like his range has kind of slid a little bit like very ever so slowly after he rebounded it uh, with a good second half at Duke. But since the season ended, it's kind of like dropped down a little bit. And like that happens to some players and pretty much every year in the draft process after the games. end. you know, people got to talk about something, something's got to move around when even though there's nothing happening, but AJ seems to be the, the, poor beneficiary of that this year but i still think his shooting is has potential to be like absolutely elite even for an nba team uh it already was when he was at duke last year i think he's the best shooter in the draft Uh, and i think that alongside any of the pelicans like wing guard lineups i think he fits in a good amount of them you could probably you could even slide him up to the four if he ends up recovering some of that athleticism he had in high school uh, and becomes you know just a generally more well-rounded defensive player so Uh, if they can tap into that there's quite a bit of positional versatility and obviously that like what i think will probably be like above 40 percent nba three-point shooting pretty consistently would fit very very well next to zion and brandon ingram
1: see i was gonna say cj do you do you view view aj as like having more upside than than just a shooter i don't know if you were able to watch much of him in high school or or before Mm -hmm. he got to duke
2: Yeah, for sure. And if you told me watching A.J. Griffin High School film two, three years ago that anyone would ever even come close to referring to him as a potential best shooter in the draft, I would think that that or even best shooting prospect in the draft, I would think that that would be a contender for a number one pick. I think that there's a chance that um, that he didn't really get to show everything that he can do at Duke and his movement skills weren't good. He wasn't good laterally. He lost his head a little bit defensively he has stuff to work on but he was top he was talked about as a consensus top 3 or 4 4ish guy before the major knee injury in high school and i if his rehab continues and he continues to grow back into the guy that he was and the athleticism that he had and his movement skills and maybe drops a little bit of weight in doing so i think that he could be a guy that we end up looking back at this draft and we're like he was universally loved uh, before he got to college, everybody knew he was playing in college with an injury or coming off an injury, and he still was one of the best freshman shooting prospects we've seen in the last ten years. Like, how did this guy make it all the way to 7, 8, 9, 10 wherever he ends up going? So yeah, I do think he has a little bit more upside than um, maybe not than that that he's being given credit for. Then, but then we tend to think about when we when we're going deep into his Duke film.
1: Okay, number nine, San Antonio Spurs. That's me. Um, I The guy I had number one on my board Was the guy I took at number six already So I have t- t- took out my own number one guy Um, I'm torn here between two I, I don't think Shaden Sharp is just a Spurs guy From everything I've seen and read I know they've got loads of picks I know the argument here is they can kind of Take a swing on an upside guy Just his demeanor Everything about him I just don't think it screams Spurs I c- could be wrong but So I'm kind of ruling Sharp out I'm between Johnny Davis and Jalen Duran. Um, the the obvious one that you've seen mocked and just about over on the internet is Jalen Duran. But again, I don't know if Jalen Duran to me profiles as like a classic Spurs type project. So I'm going to go Johnny Davis uh, at number nine. Um, I know that people be screaming here, but haven't they just drafted like a bunch of wings in the recent years? But if you actually look at their roster, they have Josh Primo, who they essentially see as more of a point guard than a, than a wing. Then they've got Devin Vassell, and they've got um, Lonnie Walker. But Lonnie Walker is a free agent, and I I don't know if they're going to bring bring Lonnie back. So that basically means you've got Devin Vassell on the wing. You then got Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, but those are guys with kind of throw-ins and trades more than anyone that I think they they desperately want. So you could be on a roster next year with just Devin Vassell. So Johnny Davis gives you some wing depth. He goes to a place where mid-range shooting, you uh, you have the green light to go from mid-range. They've got a really good shooting coach there in Chip England as well. Um, I think he's a two-way player. Like everyone raves about his work ethic. I think that would fit really well in San Antonio. I I don't think the draft is maybe broken perfectly for the Spurs. Um, I I very easily think they could go during here. But for those reasons, I'm selecting Johnny Davis for the San Antonio Spurs.
2: Yeah, um, I, I think that I like Johnny Davis as a prospect and I, I just think value wise where I'm looking at on my board, you know, not necessarily where NBA teams are, because I know that's what we're doing. I have my fifth player, my seventh player, my eighth player, my 10th player on my board still available. And Johnny Davis slides in right behind them. So for me, I don't know if that value would necessarily add up. That being said, I can see the Spurs valuing that high level college production that he had being able to look at that Wisconsin context and saying, he had he was playing with zero floor spacing. He was having to do everything himself. And if you really feel that he is that guy that brings all of that stuff, you can't worry about positional fit, right? I mean, it's not the there they do have some room in the front court to add depth, but they also have two more first round picks that we're talking about. And if they think Johnny Davis is that guy, I, I think that the value is close enough that I could definitely see that pick up.
1: Now I'm just wondering who CJ's got ranked fifth in his board. My my head's spinning now. This is going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, Chase, any thoughts on Johnny Davis to the Spurs?
0: So, I, I mean, I'm with CJ. The, I, I do like him as a prospect. But um, as I've done, like, or finished up my, like, final tinkering on my draft board, he did slide down a couple of spots. And I have... A couple of players above him that are available still. When
1: you say slide down a couple, how far are we talking here?
0: Uh, I don't. I think I had him at like ten originally, and now uh it's thirteen. So I mean, not like okay, thirteen on my
2: board as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think yeah, it might have been. I might have had him at eleven, but I mean, either way, it's just a, a couple of spots still in the lottery. So I I do like him as a prospect, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to the growing possibility that he's still available on the Hornets pick at thirteen. I think that'd be very interesting if they come on the clock and he's available to, to see what they do. But uh, I think he fits with the Spurs too. Like you, you you need depth regardless of whether or not they like already have a lot of wing prospects. Uh, the likelihood that like Devin Vassell, Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson, uh, Johnny Davis, all like all four of these guys are like starter level players in their prime is not like the highest, I, I suppose, just due to the variance of the draft and how players develop over their career. So I definitely think it's fine to still take him, um, I think that they'd be a good fit, a uh, good spot for Jalen Duran. But uh, I don't. I mean, I have no idea uh, in terms of like Intel or anything yeah. like that. But I thought I don't, about I don't it. know if he'll I go did, there. I
1: did think about it. Like yeah. that's been pretty widely speculated on. Um, and that probably would have been the easy thing to do. But I don't know. The Spurs never seem to go for these like absolutely massive high school recruits who, you know, very confident, you know, not necessarily the most skilled guy in the world, Duran. Um, they just never seem to go like they never seem to end up with a Durin type prospect. And I wonder if that's not by accident. So that's that's it it was I was 50-50. I I went Davis. But um I yeah, was I,
2: curious, I, did you consider your favorite uh, Polish prospect here at all?
1: Um I did consider him. I had him down next in the list, actually. Um I I think. It's very that, – that, that's something that a lot of people talked about, just like the high IQ, can play out of ball screens, great defensively. I think it's the kind of guy that Pop would absolutely love. Um, I just think I, I – I view and more of a, a, a kind of a role player, and I just feel like if I'm the Spurs, I want to try and – if I can get someone who's, like, got starter level scoring upside, that's, that's what I'm going for. But abs- absolutely, it was considered, yeah. Just was
2: curious okay so i guess i'm back on the clock at 10 in washington which is not a place that i feel very comfortable projecting at all i feel like i have a decent idea where a few of these teams in the lottery have been thinking and who they've been working out and stuff like that and washington i just am pretty lost on but i will tell you that i have i told you i have three guys left in no particular order it's Shaden sharp Jalen durin and jeremy sohan who we just talked about um where I'm getting held up here is trying to decide if Washington is a shade and sharp team. I think that, I think that all of these lottery teams fall in the camp of either definitely would or definitely wouldn't uh, take this kid. I think it's hard to be in the middle on him, if you will. And I don't necessarily know if they have the developmental place to bring a guy like sharp, like even if you're self scouting, I, I don't know if you have any confidence in their team building ability to get shade and sharp here if i am thinking which guy they select if i am them it kind of comes down to which of durin and sohan fits the best with chris Stapps and the their forward versatility and thomas bryant and um kyle kuzma and who's going to slide in there and i don't necessarily think it's a clean fit and since I don't really know the team very well, I'm just going to go with my best player available between the two, which is the guy that I have at five, Jalen Durin. I think that he is a potential all-star. I, I think that he's very, very likely going to be a top seven or eight center in the league, kind of in a Robert Williams-esque mold, where he's wildly athletic, a really good rim protector, has shown a lot of passing flashes for a guy of his youth, on a really, really weird context Memphis team. They basically played two centers and a power forward at all times, almost never a point guard. And Durin, as one of the youngest players in the draft, not only looked like he belonged, but looked like he was the best player on that team for stretches. And I think that that high level of impact at such a young age, besides just like giving you that high ceiling, I think it also provides a high floor for a player because there aren't very many truly productive collegiate athletes at 18. We saw what Moni Bates looked like on that same Memphis team. So I think that Durin's the best player available here. And since I don't really know what Washington is going to do, I'm going to go there. And even beyond that, I think that if he has any sort of drafts tumble, he is a best case scenario Hornets pick in their first pick.
1: I absolutely love that pick. I, I love Durin too. Um, I think Chase is pretty high in him as well. Um, If if he ended up going to Washington and I had to watch him in the Southeastern division a few times a year after dreaming of Jalen Duran for the Hornets, all this whole draft cycle, then that would be very painful. But um, it's weird. I've seen like some people who don't like mocking Duran to Washington because they've got Daniel Gafford and Thomas Bryant on the roster. And I'm just like, (laughs) what what are we even doing here? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. Um, Yeah. I think you're right about the Shane Shaw. Especially with Bradley Beal being this free agent and the potentially re-signing, I just think signing like signing a guy who projects to play the exact same position as Bradley Beal, and is like ultra young and you've not seen him play in two years. I do feel a bit Bradley be like this is my help, like someone who will back me up, and we don't even know if he's going to be able to play next year. I I agree. I just don't think Washington can take that bigger swing, even though I think maybe they should because straight of the roster, but. Just like politically in the front office, I don't see them doing that. But, uh, yeah, I love that pick for for Washington. Chase, you're up. Number 11, New York Knicks.
0: All right, so I'll be honest. This one got really hard because I think a lot of the players that would both fit well with the Knicks or be players that I think they would draft are gone. Like, I think Johnny Davis is probably my number one, like, this is a Knicks pick player. I think his style of play, obviously, I think Tom Thibodeau would really like that. The really aggressive two-way scorer and uh, perimeter defender, but he's not available. And the only other guard really in this range that's available is Shaden Sharp. Um, and I don't know if the Knicks are a place for him either, which is...
1: <laughs> we said that about every no, pick. No, I know. I know. But and it's
0: so, and it's funny because if he ends up being good in like four years, like this entire thought process that pretty much everyone in the NBA and people that like follow the draft have of like, Oh, this is like, this is, you know, we don't know much about him. Like it's gotta be the right spot, like a good fit. Like he hasn't played in two years. We don't know how it's going to pan out. Like it's all going to look so insane if he ends up being like what his ceiling appears to be at this point. But um so, you know, I think I actually just talked myself into just taking him for the Knicks, especially if the draft pans out this way. I really don't know who they'd go with. I think Sohan would be an interesting pick here too, but uh, I, 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 they might want to trade Julius Randle, but I'm just going to assume that he's going to be there next season. Uh, I, I think it's hard to find minutes like or proper minutes for him, Obi Toppin, Jeremy Sohan, and one of Nerland's Noel or Mitchell Robinson, assuming they keep one of them. And even if they don't, I don't think any of those three guys are ideally played as centers. Like I think Sohan, Obi, and Randall are all fours probably in their best uh, like lineup configuration. So uh, that was, a, this is a, re- this was a tough one for me. I, I, I ever, I was slowly just deleting the list of players that I had uh, for the Knicks pick as you guys went on. And I only had shade and sharp left um, by the time we got here. So I'm going to, I'm going to take Shaden. Uh, the Knicks have like a pretty good G League program, too. So if that's something that they're interested in, uh, he could just play in Westchester a lot. Uh, it's close to New York, but he could very easily shuttle back and forth uh, between the two uh, when the minutes present themselves. So uh, I'll, I'll go Shaden for the Knicks uh, at 11. And and if he and if he does hit, I mean, I don't I don't know how, nece- how well he fits with RJ necessarily. I mean, I'm, but you can never have enough uh, like scoring and shot creation in today's NBA, really.
1: I have to say, I think that the Shaden fit in New York is, is a scary one just because that crowd, if he like turns up from day one and isn't great, you just feel the crowd could, could turn in the media. You know, he'd be in a big spotlight there. But I, I do understand it from a talent perspective. Like I've got Shaden, I think, ranked fourth on my board. Like I, I completely see the ceiling. But CJ, what are the reasons that we think we've seen Shaden slip in this mock down to 11 and then also just generally in the draft cycle?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is we have teams in the late lottery that are trying to be competitive immediately. You know, it's, it's tough to project a guy like Shaden there. I do think that we've got a little overboard just overall in the draft cycle with this, like, mystery man kind of guy. In 2022, like, NBA teams are watching EYBL film. They, they have been tracking these guys all the way up. And Shaden did kind of, even in youth standards, rise meteorically up to that number one, number two spot in his class. That was not a – he's not like a LeBron James prospect that everybody's been tracking since they were he was in eighth grade or anything like that. Shaden kind of had a late run up the board. But that being said, we still have a pretty good idea of what he's good at and what he's not good at. And I think some of the star, like the elite star level comps, might be a little bit overboard for ceiling. But also I think some of the floor level stuff is a little bit overblown we, his, his athleticism is without a doubt, NBA quality. Some of the stuff that might limit his ultimate upside is the lack of an elite handle. He's, he has a fine handle, but it's a little bit too loose to project consistent playmaking over and over in the NBA level. And he doesn't have that top end vision, but as a shot maker, a shot taker ability to get to the rim and create at all three levels. I really do think that he has the potential to be a top 15, 20 is shooting guard in the league, a starter level guy relatively early in his career. Like I, I don't think that he's some big four or five year project because if you look at him just even on an age thing, he's older than AJ Griffin is. He's older than Jalen Durin is. He's essentially the same age as Jeremy Sohan. So you're getting a prospect that while young for draft or any standards is not necessarily a child. You know, he's, he's going to be ready to make an impact year two, year three. And it's just how confident are you in your ability to project EYBL film, right? It's, it, for me, it's more of a confidence issue because personally, obviously, I prefer to have college film to watch. You know, it helps narrow down the range of outcomes. It helps you feel more confident in the film that you're watching when you can watch them in high school and then in EYBL and then in college and all these different contexts. The thing with Shaden is he has a wider range of outcomes, because we're missing that last little branch of film and you just need to to see how confident you are in that UIBL film and how confident you are knowing that maybe you have to be a little bit less confident you can't be hundred percent in your in your um, shade sharp evaluation you kind of need to value the whole range of outcomes as one whole thing and see where you would select that and honestly I think it's probably before 11 his value proposition.
1: No, I agree. And I think that's a great recap. I, I think, I mean, the couple of things that I remember I heard that, you know, guys watched the Kentucky practices and at times Shaden Sharp was taken over. Um, and that was something that was kind of widely reported. So I think that's a, a promising sign. Um, I think the other thing that's maybe hurting him now is you're going through, it's all off court process. I know he's worked out for quite a few teams, but like, if you watch the guy we interviewed, um, just doesn't give off the greatest first impression. That's all I can say. Like, um, doesn't doesn't scream kind of leader doesn't scream energy culture guy and i think when you don't have the film to kind of watch and be like yeah but who cares because he can do this and that uh you don't have that recent film i should say that maybe plays a more prevalent uh, thing in your mind especially from like draft evaluators who maybe don't have the same uh amount of of to go through the nba teams well okay um number 12 easy pick now once you pick sharp okc I'm taking Jeremy Sohan. Um, so I was considering it before. Um, I think this OKC roster is just turning into a bunch of guys who can kind of all dribble, switch. Um, they're going to be full of six-eight guys who can essentially move, move the ball, pass the ball. I think Sohan fits really well into that. They, they generally kind of shied away from playing traditional bigs in recent times any, anyway. But like Isaiah Roby has played a lot of time at centre. He's kind of a similar body type there. Darius Baisley, again, another kind of like combo four who's played a lot of time at the five. So I think Sohan fits with that. Um, I think it'd be a, you know, the spacing isn't great. That's my worry here. Like Josh Giddey, Shea, um, not the best shooters to then surround Sohan with, which is a concern. But this OKC roster is going to change around the kind of core pieces so much in the next two years that there's no reason you can't think that the shooting will improve elsewhere. So I'm going Jeremy Sohan. Um, really like that fit there just before Charlotte. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty pretty good draft, I think, with Jabari and Sohan. I-, I know, like, obviously there is a bit of overlap maybe there with Jabari Smith, who was selected earlier. But I, I definitely think Jabari Smith and Sohan can play next to each other. They're both versatile enough players that um, it might be kind of uh, not, the- not the classic way you would p- put a roster together, but I think it would work.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think Sohan works well in Oklahoma City's defensive schemes. I think that Jabari does help to figure out a little bit of the shooting concerns, even though I don't think Oklahoma City actually has them yet. I think they're they're waiting another step or two in their development to actually worry about whether guys can shoot or not. But I, I have Sohan eighth on my board, so I would love this value for OKC.
0: I also i we we seem to be have a lot of players similarly ranked because I, I also have him eighth on my board right now um and i mean he would he would be a really good fit there he'd give them like a a very long switchable defender next to i mean josh giddy can he's a decent defender but he's not uh he's and wing sized but he's not like a switchable wing defender at all so I would give them a lot of like lineup versatility uh for down the road when they're you know try, trying to actively win games on a nightly basis but I don't blame them for not trying to do that, because if they end up being a top pick next year, get two good picks out of this lottery, like, they're going to be cooking with gas in a very short time.
1: Okay, first Charlotte pick. This is what people have been listening for, folks. Number 13. Um, Ch- CJ, you're up. Who are you picking yeah. as Charlotte at 13? Is is not am... in this year's draft. You can't pick Garuba again. <laughs> no.
2: Ah, uh, man, I would have still taken Garuba over either. There's two guys they got last year, but still... <laughs> This is just a terrible board for Charlotte, which is a shame because it seems pretty close to the guys that are going to go. I think Charlotte's not at a great spot to get one of those top tier guys. I think that the consensus NBA board, not necessarily Charlotte's, but the consensus NBA board would have Malachi Branham, Malachi Branham roundabout where this pick is. I have Tari Eason um, would have already been picked already, but I know he's falling via consensus. And I also know that they're widely, widely rumored to be the Mark Williams pick. Mm. Um, The question for me here is if they go Mark Williams now or if they get a little cute knowing that Cleveland behind them most likely doesn't need a center and is going to be targeting wing depth and try to jump them here to get a little bit of wing depth um, and and save the big man pick for next. I don't think Tari is necessarily very likely here, even if I would like the fit, just because of some of the reasons he's going to be falling. So I am looking at either Malachi Branham, who has a little bit of overnight with book night, but is actually, in my opinion, a better prospect. Um, Even if I'm lower on Malachi, than I think most people are. Or Mark Williams. My nightmare is picking another guy here so that when we do this pod next year, you say, and then CJ picked Malachi Branham and he, he didn't play all year. And I just see it over and over and over in my head. And despite that, I think I'm gonna have to go Malachi Branham with the with a little bit of strategy there that yeah. Cleveland doesn't need a big. And you feel pretty confident that whoever your top big available is, you'll be able to get at the next pick. But I, I have also heard some rumblings that Charlotte isn't necessarily super likely to make both of these picks. And they're not necessarily enthralled with their options here. And unless some of these top guys fall, they may just get Mark Will and then get out with the other pick or, or something like that. I don't think they love their spot here.
1: I've heard this reported both ways. I've heard people say they can do this bit of hokey-cokey with waiting for the big at 15. I've then heard other people going, well, what if someone trades up with Cleveland at 40 and then takes the big? Which I think what you do is you essentially, you look at it on draft night. And you have those conversations with Cleveland. Hopefully you have those relationships with the front office and go, look, Cleveland, like, let's work together here. There's there's three picks here. Like, who do you want at 14? We can try and make this work. Um, Hopefully you have that working relationship that they have a really good sense of what Cleveland are going to do. If Cleveland have already mailed in, like, yeah, we absolutely love, you know, whoever it is, then fine, they can make that uh, with the good knowledge. But there's a few years ago, Mitch's first draft, um, where they selected Shea and then traded back one spot to essentially give Shea to the Clippers. Um, and then they got the to two, two second round picks and they drafted Miles Bridges. They did that because they knew the Clippers wanted Shea Gildress Alexander. Like, so there's, not, there's reason to believe they could have that similar relationship with Cleveland where they, they have a good feel of what they know they want to do and kind of work with them there so that both teams are happy chase malachi Brunham, I, th- I think you you might be the highest of all of us in malachi where have you got malachi chase
0: uh, i have him at 15 but he's not okay. my my highest uh like guard or upside yeah. or non center in this group i should say if, if so i've were... got him
1: at 20 something yeah you've got him cj Whereabouts you got him
0: i have him
2: at 18 19 area i'm not necessarily super high on him the player i think that it's a bet that he remains just as efficient as he was in college. He was wildly efficient for a freshman. Mm-hmm. You're, you're betting that he keeps that efficiency on up to volume. And the defense wasn't good. He got lost on a lot of screens. He did not compete through multiple actions on the defensive end.
1: Really um, selling it. Really selling it. Yeah. I mean, if I
2: were picking here, <laughs> yeah, this I is know, the one to on me. If I were I'm picking here, about. I would take Tari Eason and yeah. add to that wing depth play finisher type around Lamella. And um, I I actually think that's a really smooth wing fit. I don't think that Charlotte will be very interested in Tari. So I'm guessing Malachi, I wouldn't be thrilled about it. Honestly, if I'm in this spot and I'm Charlotte and I'm not thrilled about my options here, they might just make the marker will move at 13, get it over with, be done with it. And if they can get one of their guys at 15, great. if not
1: move back and do what you have to do. Okay. Chase Cleveland, you're up. Are you going to put a spanner in the plans it means CJ's plans here for our 13-15 combo pick?
0: No, no, luckily luckily I'm not. So if this if it did work out like this, I think CJ's strategy would be the ideal method to to enact on draft night. Um, but I think I see I thought the it seems to me like the Cavs really like Mal- Malachi Branham. The that Ohio connection obviously. Uh, I think I saw a tweet that said he himself like really enjoyed his workout uh, and the interview that he had there with them uh, and felt pretty comfortable with the team. Uh, obviously, they're not going to take like, a front court player here because even beyond uh, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, like Laurie Markkinen, Kevin Love. Kevin Love was one of the best six men in the NBA last year. Uh, and then Laurie Markkinen was pretty effective for them when they wanted to uh, use him and they used him in that uh, – three towers lineup when he was playing small forward which was way more effective than pretty much anybody thought it was going to be uh preseason so you're definitely going to go a little bit smaller here uh I'm talking a lot because I still haven't really decided yet uh because I was (laughs) I was pretty firm on Malachi Branham over my next two guys uh if he was there um I think that I am going to take Jalen, Jalen, I'll, I'll, go with Jalen Williams. I think he is probably the best intersection of like fit and upside here. Uh, I really like his, his ball handling and just generally his scoring package. Uh, he's got pretty good size and length as a wing. Uh, he's a pretty good pick playmaker in the pick and roll as well. He's not somebody that you'd want to use like primarily, but the uh, Cavaliers have a couple of guys you can use in primary ball screen actions anyway. Uh, I, def, I don't I it's it, this would be a, another like tough spot for the Cavs I think if like Johnny Davis Malachi Branham uh, and like pretty much every high upside ish play that isn't a forward or big is gone Um. and I think that that's where like this is where the this area of the draft is probably like the toughest to like make picks and just like kind of place your bet on certain players because You'd pr- ideally in like I, obviously in the last draft or next year's draft, like these players that are in this range now would probably be a little bit lower and then you'd feel a little bit more comfortable taking them uh, maybe like 19 or 20 instead of 14. But um, I, I still think Jalen Williams has a chance to be a good NBA player. It's just if you are going to attach like the stigma of lottery pick to that and then he ends up not being like a high lo- a starter or even like a high level starter or anything like that, then you might kind of question it, but I don't know if there are any of those guys left at this point anyway.
2: Yeah, I think we're getting into this spot right about 13. We're just – the the talent isn't necessarily there to match up what you would expect for a typical lottery pick. Overall, I'm not a huge Jalen Williams guy. Uh, I think I'm in the minority there. I, I think most of draft Twitter at this point really is. Um, I question – all of his – impact numbers this year were with the ball in his hands isolation pick and roll he did all that really well at Santa Clara I don't know if he does that quite well enough to earn NBA reps there at least serious NBA reps with the ball in his hand and I did not love his film off the ball. I think he disappeared for minutes at a time when the ball wasn't in his hand I don't think he was a particularly great defender he Got he is another one that got hung up on screens he's not the most explosive guy he's actually genuinely pretty slow and his impact numbers overall were pretty bad i think historically low for a guy that would be picked in the lottery as an upperclassman i think his path is probably with the ball in his hands and i just don't know if he hits that threshold necessarily not to say that he can't i've gotten in trouble before by thinking that guys wouldn't get on ball reps and then they just earned on ball reps and were are fine but i don't love his off ball film and i I think he started to rise around the combine where he tested out with this crazy wingspan and crazy vertical leap. And for me, instead of being like, Oh, that's great. It kind of makes me question where, why didn't I see that in the film, right? Why didn't we know that Jalen Williams had a seven, two wingspan, that kind of stuff. And he used it around the rim and things like that. It kind of showed up in his finishing, but he he did not use his length well on the defensive end at all. did not cause a lot of events. And I just think I'm genuine generally a little bit lower on on Jalen Williams and I think most of the rest of the draft analysts in this class are I would still have him I have him in the the mid-30s if that shows you where I'm at with him but I would be perfectly cool with him in a pick in the 20s I just am not all the way in and I do want to say James for this next Charlotte pick I think you should also pick 13 and 15 knowing that um, Jalen goes 14 because I kind of stole your pick here And I'm curious to see what you had in mind for what you would have done at 13.
1: Ooh, what would I have done at 13? Um, If if I was picking at 13, I, without, without having the knowledge of what's going on with Cleveland at four, I probably would have picked Mark Williams at 13 and then like, I have and Jalen Williams, pretty close. I, I, yeah, and I would probably just taken a wing at 15, or, or actually maybe Eason. Um, yeah. The way it's broken now, yeah, I, th- I think I probably would have taken Williams and Eason and left the wing depth. Um, but how it's broken now, you took Branham at 13. I'm going to take Mark Williams. Um, I, I don't even think we need to discuss this one that much. Um, it's been discussed by anyone who's written about the draft I followed the Hornets at any point um it seems like a a really good fit I'm pretty happy with it I like Eason Agbaji. I think other guys who I think are interesting I mean rather than going too deep into into Mark Williams's fit in Charlotte which is obvious elite shot blocker uh great rebounder can help the defense I, I don't think he's maybe as NBA ready as some people might hope for a sophomore generally bigs take a little bit of time to kind of come around on NBA systems so I don't necessarily think you go going to next season with Mark Williams being a starter, but I, I like the play and I'm, I'm perfectly happy to draft him over Kai Jones. Uh, I don't think we're, we're sure what, what Kai is going to be yet. Um, and they could even potentially play some some together down the road. Uh, we'd have to see how Kai develops. But what I'm curious about, you talked to CJ about how the talent drops off at 13. I, I agree with you there. And I've, I've often thought you just need almost like one of that top 12 to, to drop out. Who are the players who maybe we've not mentioned who we think could kind of be a top 12 guy who you don't see coming, A.K. Josh Primo getting drafted last year by the Spurs? Um, I'm going to throw out a couple of names. Usman uh, Jeng, Ochai Baji, like, as some guys. So I, I could, it wouldn't shock me if one of them went 10, 11, or 12 in that kind of Washington, New York, second OKC pick range. Uh, are there any other names that you guys... Kind of could see being oh okay now this means this person's going to slip to Charlotte at thirteen.
2: Yeah, I think Jang is the l- most likely one that you said. Um, I'm lower on Igbaji, but there I'm always lower on these seniors. I, I don't I don't think he's um, he's a huge impact player at the next level. Uh, but guys that may jump into that range to knock some of these guys down. I think Nikola Jovic has a chance. Um, he was more highly touted preseason than he was over the course of his year, but I think that there's somebody that might love him. And then in the Josh Primo mold, just drafting young creators, the guys that might bump up there like that is Bryce McGowan's. I think that generally teams are lower on him, but it only takes one. And he has that kind of skill set like Primo did that you might, the the outlier foul drawing from McGowan's is re- something that with a better skill set around him would typically draw lottery contention. So a team may just talk themselves into it. I think that he's an option. And then I guess if a team falls in love with maybe a Jalen Williams, he could he could fin- continue his rise and bump some guys down. Or even, I think universally, Jaden Hardy has fallen all the way off and I'm not particularly high on him. But he's another one that it seems like you either have him somewhere between Twenty to thirty-five, depending on how you value the skill set, or like you have them ten if you think that you really value the on-ball scoring or something like that. So I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I think out of all of them, Diang and then maybe McGowan's are the two mm-hmm. likely potential risers. Even if maybe I wouldn't even do either one of them, I just think they have the youth and skill set that a team could talk themselves into.
1: Chase, there's a guy I'm thinking who who CJ didn't mention who you might. Is there anyone else that you, who you're thinking of who could get into that top 14? He's got a uh, green room to invite, and I know you like him.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm th- definitely Blake Wesley. I think mm. has has a chance at least. Uh, he's invited to the green room. He's worked out for the Hornets. He's worked out for quite a few teams in like the uh, like 10 and 10 to 20 range, basically. Uh, I think he could jump up there, kind of like a. For, for what cj said about bryce mcgowan so i think a lot of that you know young upside creator stuff kind of applies to him as well and he's got i think blake wesley has some really really intriguing defensive potential as well um maybe what it's i like i like wesley more than all of
2: the guys we just mentioned i yeah, have Wesley higher state. than all of them
0: so yeah. i agree i i have him uh, at 12 on my board he's probably like my I mean, I guess I don't really – consensus on him is kind of wide, but he's probably the one that I'm, like, highest on relative to uh, consensus, I, I think.
2: I'm um, not quite that high. I have him above McGowan's. I have him above Hardy. I have him above D.A., but I I don't have him 12. I think that – I don't hate to call either, though, because he also has the defensive skill set to go with the
0: offense, which is, I think, important in today's NBA. Yeah, he's a, he's a great anticipator, I think, on both sides of the ball and, like – he has good mechanics as a scorer, and if you can pan out him being like an anticipatory defender uh, and pretty good passer in the pick and roll and then uh, make him be efficient in the NBA, I think like that's a very, very solid foundation for at least a starter uh, going forward. But uh, may be, maybe maybe Dalen Terry jumps up that high as well. He's risen quite a bit. Uh, I think Jovich is a good call as well. I, I want to say it was the Rockets that were was reported a while ago to like really like him um so I, and I, I could see that as well so um i feel like there will be some surprises in here in this range though of there somebody. always are there's, there's yeah.
1: always a name who george
0: papayanis that's, <laughs> that's probably the best one that we'll ever get <laughs> i don't know if we'll top that one
1: that is a great name um th- there will be someone and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out so th- that will conclude it for a mock draft um cj thank you very much for uh for partaking. We are now going to move on to second round sleepers. Um, Me and Chase have both got one. CJ's got a couple. um, And Hornets hold pick number 45. In my opinion, likely to be to go to a two-way player. I don't think they'll make the final roster unless they maybe were to, if they were to move 13 and 15 in a trade, I think there's more chance then, but just be due to roster spots. I expect it to maybe be one of the kind of premier two-way guys um, and last year they had Scottie Lewis and Aldous Kuboka, who I think neither of them would be shocked if they didn't come back on a two-way after the past year. Although I don't think you'd mind keeping them around. Looking at the draft, second-round sleepers, CJ, you're going to get started. Um, who do you like for the Hornets at forty-five?
2: Yeah, so a guy that I have, I have this player twenty-one. And he's been mostly mocked in the 40s and 50s overall that I think should be like the main target, especially for Charlotte and their rim protection needs and things like that, because you can't put all of your eggs in the Mark Williams basket, is a non-center that is an excellent rim protector, good three-point shooter, and really does the things well that the NBA values right now. And it's Jabari Walker out of Colorado. I think Jabari Walker is significantly underrated here in this draft. He was a he had a phenomenal freshman year um was talked about as a top 40ish pick if he came out as freshman year. And then his point guard left. His point guard uh, McKinley Wright graduated and it took him the first half of the year to kind of get reacclimated. He he wasn't necessarily a creator, if you will. He um he's more play finisher on the offensive end. And Colorado, because he was the best player there, tried to run some things through him. And it didn't work in the first half of the year, honestly. He, he, He didn't shoot the ball well. It took him a little bit to come along. And then he had a phenomenal second half. It finally clicked. He finally got it together. Colorado's offense was moving a little bit better. And by the end of the year, his numbers looked like he just had a perfectly solid year all the way around. But if you take out the first four, six weeks where he was kind of figuring everything out, I think he's statistically up there with some of the top sophomores in this class. And he shoots the three. Well, he is a really good rim protector boots the ball. Well, and overall I think he's just the kind of four that you want if you're not necessarily a hundred percent solid in your rim protection. So I think that he is a potential phenomenal fit for Charlotte that weirdly could be available at 45 when he's overall, in my opinion,
0: a late first round kind of prospect. So I see, I moved Jabari up quite a bit in my last um, like session of, of tinkering here. And he, I put him at 45 and I, I mean, I had seen people that just like didn't have him on at all. So I thought that I was like not high on him, but at least was like, you know, with the average consensus. But I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I, I 21, I think. And like you make a good pitch for him as well. Like I've, I always thought like throughout the year he would fit so well within any sort of like up-tempo offense. Um, because like you said for his limitations as like a creator or initiator or somebody you can run offense through like in the open court like he can do a little bit of like creating and he can make plays for his teammates in the open court and stuff like that so I, I mean obviously the Hornets like to get up and down so I I, I agree with you that would be a really good fit and I, I hadn't I hadn't thought a ton about that yet and he is at exactly 45 on, on my big board so that would, that would definitely work out. I, that, that's a good one. I, I like that one a lot. And there, there are, he just doesn't get talked about a lot just generally. No. I feel like he, even by people not. that like don't like him or whatever, like he's never like someone's like, Oh, I don't, I don't understand the the case for Jabari Walker. Like he's just kind of has just passed us by this, this cycle, unfortunately.
1: From, from what I understand, he was a pretty low high school recruit. I think he was like a three-star guy. I mean, I, I, I like Jabari a lot. So I, I love that name. I've got him at 35. Um, and but you're right. You look at some mock drafts from some of the kind of well-sourced guys—Wasserman, uh, Wu, Gavoni—and sometimes they've got him like going undrafted, and that I just don't understand. That like, I can understand you thinking, "Well, okay, he's just really low upside role player, and that for that reason you have him in the second round." Okay, I can get that, but uh, no, I, I really like that name. Uh, just like three-and-D forward is kind of what I've just got written down, like the definition of and just great rebounder, which for a Hornets team that really struggled with the rebounding to get some rim protection, some shooting and rebounding from, from someone like that, um, I would be, sign me up for the Jabari Walker experience.
2: Yeah, I, I think that he's a guy that if you flip to seasons, like first half, second half, we're talking about him differently. I think he got off to a really slow start, kind of got anchored down in that lowish draft range, and even during the hot start, or the hot finish, the hot close to the season, He never really climbed back quite as much as he should have because Pac-12 basketball, all that stuff, people weren't always necessarily watching and the numbers at the end of the year don't pop because he was so wildly inefficient in the first six weeks. I think if he got off to that crazy start and everybody was like, Oh my God, Jabari Walker, Jabari Walker. And then he slowed down, down the stretch, he would have settled into a decent like thirties ish range where I think he should be ranked. And I think that, because of that bias, I think you're actually getting him at a discount. I think he's a really good player. And, yeah, I think if the Hornets could get him at 45, they'd be thrilled.
0: Or they should be anyway.
1: Okay, Chase, hit us with your, your second-round sleeper for from 45.
0: All right, so I'm going to I'm gonna say three names first just because I want to cheat here. So, hunjung Lee, Alondez Williams, Ron Harper Jr. That's it. Uh, and then the one that I'm actually going to talk about uh, is Vince Williams Jr., who is probably – like my favorite second round or like undrafted prospect uh, that like I may have evaluated in my few years doing the draft. I love this guy, not like I have him like 18th or something like that, but I just love the value that he is, I think he's very likely to return as someone in the second round. Uh, he is a really, really good defender. He's been one of the best defenders on like the east Coast, uh, regardless of conference. For a couple of years now, all four years at VCU, he averaged over a steal. Uh, He's at like three stocks per game as a senior almost. He's a really comfortable 40% or hovering around 40% shooter from beyond the arc. Uh, He can shoot from the corner and above the break, uh, like off of catch, off of movement a little bit. Not a great shot creator, but that's why he's in the second round. Uh, Also not a great playmaker, but he does enough, I think, has like a connective piece. And he's got some pretty good ability to grab a rebound and push a little bit. Um, he doesn't have to be anything more than like a slightly switchable, like really aggressive on ball three and D wing in the NBA. Uh, I would personally, I would draft him. I have him at 42 on my big board right now. Uh, I would definitely draft him if the Hornets picked him, I would be ecstatic. Uh, but he probably gets like a two way or like a UDFA exhibit 10 contract. Please excuse the lawnmower that's going by my window right now. But, um, I, I would be, I, I really like Vince Williams Jr. He's like one of my favorite players in the class. I think he's got a really good uh, package to pan out in the NBA.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I have him 44, so I'm right there with you. I think he's kind of anti-Jalen Williams, if you will, where he isn't good with the ball in his hand, but he's phenomenal everywhere else, right? And honestly, I think that's more important for a guy that we project to be a fifth usage kind of player in the league and he's a good enough shooter to make that work. So I agree. I think that's a very good call. I think that's another good target at 45.
1: Okay, CJ, I'm going to let you go again with your, with your second one. And then I'm going to come in to round out the show with my last one, if that's okay. So CJ, do you want to give us your, your second second round sleeper?
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is a guy that I think started off, off of a lot of boards completely, Not really on. not really in top 60s. And I have it in my 40s and I think will be a, a really good target again at 45. And that's overtime elite Dom Barlow. He is a very versatile man that, again, helps on the rebounding side. All these things that we're talking about, the Hornets needing to target. And I think he was a, a little bit overlooked because people don't know how to take that overtime elite tape yet. But for my money, he was the best prospect on that team. I would take him over Montero. And I think that his versatility of skill set in transition and rebounding and being able to put the ball on the floor and shoot it a little bit leaves a lot of room for projectability. And I I think that he's, he's a player that, again, has been overlooked. And if a lot of people have him outside of their top 60s, and whether that's in undrafted free agency or at 45, I think that he's a guy that deserves a look there.
0: I learned a couple of weeks ago that um Don Barlow actually went to high school for two weeks like 20 minutes away from where I live right now uh, and uh, and uh, he went to Bridgeton Academy in Naples Maine uh, right before he tr- uh, went to overtime elite so I think he he went there to do a prep year uh, and then got the overtime offer and was it was in maine for like two weeks like last September or something like that but that was um that was a very strange realization that I had knowing that there was a chance that I could have like driven to watch Don Barlow games like 20 minutes away from my house last year. But I have become pretty high on him too. Like I-, I have not watched as much overtime film as I would have liked to. Uh, and to be honest with you, like the main draw when you watch overtime is the Thompson twins, even though they're not, a- uh, not available in the 22 class. Uh, but I really, I really like Don Barlow as well. He seems like he just does a lot of things that NBA teams are going to value from like a big, athletic forward and obviously like when you're looking at players in the second round like if you have the physical tools I think to play the role that yeah. the team is envision- envisioning for you like that almost is going to do more for you than being like oh he's a really good shooter or passer or ball handler or something because if they can work with you on a couple skills and you're the 53rd pick and you become the team's eighth man like that's a home run 53rd pick so I definitely I, I would I would be a big fan of Don Barlow in the in the second round as well there are, there are a lot of good Second round sleepers this year, I think. This is like one of the strongest. I swear you say that year, Chase. Draft. No, well, I see I Chase is always like, oh, uh, there's
1: loads of good guys No, a no,
0: 2020 there there weren't uh that many, right? Yeah, that was the LaMelo and Anthony Edwards draft. There weren't there weren't that many that year, but last year was just generally a good draft. But I think that this is like the strongest or one of the strongest parts of of this class is like the late guaranteed contracts and early two-way players. No, How you know, you're a true
2: drift junkie when you say that the uh, <laughs> I, I can talk round. about
0: Vince Williams much longer <laughs> than I could talk about like Jabari Smith or something. I've, I probably have a sickness.
1: You, you'll be very happy. I, again, this is really weird. I was watching Vince Williams tape this morning as well. Um, and he is now in my top 60.
0: Let's go. I, Let's I, go. I did you watch the up. game against Richmond?
1: Uh, I did see game. I that's did. A see, good, that's a yeah, good one. I saw some Richmond games. Yeah. I think, um, Lennon Miller withdrew, and there was one spot in my top 60, and Vince is, Vince is coming and taking it. So, um, yeah, and, and just to touch on Don Barlow, I think he's, like, the perfect two-way player. I really do. Like, he's not physically ready, but he shows some shooting flashes, even though percentages aren't quite there. Like, going from overtime straight to NBA would be too much, but the G League, I think, is that perfect mix. Um, I, I really liked what I saw at the Combine, like, in being around other big NBA players, not something you really got to do it over time. And even though in the first game he struggled kind of scoring the ball, I, he was just so active defensively and kind of found himself always being in position, contesting a lot of shots. Um, so, yeah, I think I've got Don Barlow up like 48. So I'm sure there'd probably be some of the guys a little higher on my board who'd more be in the range, but, um, but I think he'd be perfectly understandable pick at that point and, and a great two-way development bet. Okay. To finish us off, um, I'm going to touch on last sleeper and you might tell me that this guy doesn't classify as a sleeper because the guy I'm going to talk about is Max Christie, which you might both be sitting here going, wait, Max Christie in the second round, but I-, I had someone else written down and then I went on ESPN I went to draft express and by chance, Max Christie was set to go 45 to the Hornets on the latest mock draft. So I know a lot of draft Twitter is very high. Max Christie and view him as a first round pick, but I wouldn't say his name has exploded during the workout process and the pre-draft process. And if if they're saying that he's going to go 45 to Charlotte, that's not why I've picked him. I was already thinking about doing it, but that just gave me the uh, justification that I can talk about Max Christie's asleep. But so uh, Max Christie is a one-and-done from Michigan State. Um, didn't, was kind of came and build as a shooter, didn't shoot the ball efficiently, but I think definitely played well defensively this year, showed some really good uh, kind of hip flexibility was able to flip his hips contain the ball some good help defensive instincts as well right Tom Izzo really trusted him as a freshman which I, I think that definitely means something because Izzo will not just play you kind of regardless of anything you have to make sure you you work for that he does project to be a better shooter he, he's very long but also very skinny I think when he puts some muscle in his frame that'll help him um, I and the one thing that I really like alongside the, the, the youth the tool set And I'm gonna read this quote to you. And this was from a piece in The Athletic from David Aldridge, which was from a a member of staff from USA Basketball. And this is the quote on Max Christie. The ultimate, how can I say it? In the front of the line, always the first to show up in the gym, first to ask questions in team meetings, always pushing himself like, I'm gonna be the voice. I'm gonna be the leader, but in a good way. He was always like, he was always like the team would be quiet. He would be the one to say something. He's an extrovert when it comes to things like that. And he was a great teammate and he played great. And I just think that kind of quote is coming from a member who was on the team with him when you've got people talking about players you've been a part of glowingly like that. You know, you could just say something generic like, yeah, he was great. He came to USA Basketball. But that shows that this guy was like going out of his way to try and communicate how great a kid this guy was. So I I like the skill set. Theoretically, the efficiency was by no means there, but I like the defense and I like the approach. Um, if, if he's there at 45, I do think it's probably unlikely. But if he is, I, I would love that as a two-way, a two-way spot, if he would accept a two-way.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think he's there at 45. I have him at in the mid-30s. So it, that doesn't take too much of a fall in the second round to get there. I do like Christie's versatility. I wish he was a little bit more productive, uh, of course. um, But if he were as a freshman, we wouldn't be talking about it here. So I I don't think he's a bad idea, a bad guy to take that swing at forty-five. On I would actually be really happy with him there. I do. um, Yeah, I I, I do think he left a little bit out there on his Michigan State film. He didn't. He didn't blow me away on the tape, but Mm -hmm. he's also a young freshman with a versatility of skill set that it's easy to project a growth on so he seems like a guy that we would be talking about as a value if we he was there
1: at 45 okay i think that'll do it for second round sleepers um be really interesting to see if any of these guys end up on a charlotte or if they end up keeping that 45 pick um wouldn't shock me if they were to move it but we got through a lot today. I know I know. I probably said this was going to be an hour. I don't know how long it's gone. It's definitely been more than that. Um, but uh, look, it's draft week, folks. We can't, we can't be skimming content now. Like, it's now or never. And loads of good thoughts from CJ. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I know you pitched at the top again, but people at the top might be like, I'm not going to go follow this guy. Like, what does he know? Well, now you know. Uh, where would they people find you if they have to listen to this go, actually, I think I'm going to read some of his stuff.
2: (laughs) Um, You can find me on Twitter at CJ Martasani. I put most of my stuff out from there. You should be able to get to everything else from there. And thank you guys for having me on. It's always a pleasure.
1: Thank you very much, CJ. That's going to do it for us. This is probably going to be our last episode, barring a draft night trade before draft night itself. We, we might get to, if, if something happens, me and Chase might get together, but if not, uh, we'll be recording a live draft podcast. We will have immediate grades on sihornets.com on draft night, and we'll be chronologing every single pick as it happens. Um, so make sure you go check out on there. The live draft night show isn't going to be, it's going to be recorded live, but it's going to be recorded straight after the draft itself. We're probably going to hop in for any picks that the Hornets have in the full 58 picks um that's good news by the way this year draft's going to be what four minutes shorter with uh those two second round picks that aren't on there because of the the penalization so
0: yeah, maybe the sun won't quite be up yet by the time it's <laughs> over for you you'll you'll get to bed while it's still dark out
1: uh we can hope but as someone tells me it probably won't um but yeah cj thanks for joining me chase thanks for joining me bring on thursday night bring on the draft best night of the year hands down and we will we'll catch everyone after the draft
0: thanks DJ. see you guys